Whisker Dice. Hey, yo, folks. I am your host, the Conzie with the Most, and our other hosts on this show are Brian, Justin, Matt, and Suzanne. This is episode 108 of the Whisker Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is March 1st, 2023, and on today's episode... We'll talk to Kevin and find out what the plans are for the Strong Tower Gaming Convention coming up here in 2023. But first, let's roll into the games that we've been playing! Alright, first up, we've got a game that, that I'm a really big fan of, and that is Quacks of Quedlinburg. In the US, it's published by CMYK Games, and the designer is Wolfgang Warsh. Plays in about 45 minutes and can support two to four players. This game was initially published in 2018, and I believe it won the uh, Kennerspiel de Jar Award that year. And it has proven to have some staying power since then. The uh, premise of the game is it's a kind of a lighter complexity push-your-luck game. Each player has a bag of these potion ingredients and each round you're going to simultaneously draw one of these chips, these ingredients out of your bag, and add them to this big cauldron, this big pot. The higher the value the chip is, the further along it goes in this spiral of values in the pot, Which, and the further along it is, uh, the more points you're going to get, and also the more currency you're going to get to be able to buy more and more specialized, more powerful ingredients into your pot. But the catch is, you start the game with a certain number of an ingredient called cherry bombs, and if at any point the total number of cherry bombs in your potion exceeds seven, your potion explodes and you're going to get way less benefit out of it that round. So you try to get as much out of your bag as possible without exploding. If your potion didn't explode, you get to get both those victory points and the money to spend, as I as I mentioned. But if you did explode, you can kind of choose between either one. Do I want to just get the money and get some better stuff into my bag or should I take the points at this point? This game is fun every time I've played it. I've introduced this game to some people. I've played it with my family. It is definitely a luck-based game. There's a little bit of strategy in picking which ingredients you're going to include and which ones combo well with each other. But there's definitely a big luck component. But either way, it is it is a very fun game. I believe you guys got it out at the Friday night game night. Is that correct? We did, though we proved yet again that when it comes to pushing your luck, my pot explodes more times than it doesn't. So, <laughs> and and frankly, it's it's one that my family loves to play. You know, my kids are all enjoy the game, but uh, it, it's uh, they're all much better at pushing their luck than I am. So, I, I spend way too many rounds where my pot exploded and uh, just kind of fall back in the pack. Sure, yeah, that happens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of in a position sometimes to have to push your luck extra hard if somebody starts getting this is not a game of usually a huge points difference between first and last but so every time uh you start falling behind by like say four or five points you start feeling that extra pressure to really push your luck to try to see if you can, you know, just get that inkling, just get that little extra push that'll let you let you get kind of caught back up, so you have that opportunity to win the game at the end. Yeah, and I'll say a lot of games have expansions, and this one is no different. It does have at least two expansions out there. Yep. 
And I usually, after I've played a game several times, I'm like, oh, I need a little bit more just to keep wanting to play it. This game, I don't. I actually prefer the base game with this. It's, you know, it's just a, like, it's a fun, silly pusher luck. And I go into this game every time with a, I'm just going to see what crazy potions and components I can pull out and not really worry about winning. For me, that just makes it not feel as bad if I explode or if my pot explodes. So it's a fun I, little I, game here. I think it's worth pointing out, too, that the base game comes with four sets of, I'll call them ingredients. So there's the base number one, and then there's two, three, four. And those change how the various ingredients work. And it has a pretty dramatic impact on the game. So it definitely adds a lot of replayability because you're not playing with the same ingredients every time. So you can catch a full review of Quacks of Quinlanburg on our blog at wiscodice.com. So if you want more information about this particular game, why don't you go ahead and check that out? And of course, a link to that will also be in the show notes. Right. So the next game we have is Sagrada. So this is one to four player game. It takes 30 to 45 minutes to play. Uh, Floodgate Games is the publisher. I know Ben and I have played this a couple times. I don't know if Justin or Matt, if you've played, had the pleasure of playing Sagrada yet. I have, I have not. I, I, I enjoy this game quite a bit, actually. Okay, awesome. So yes, this is a game that I have kind of put off purchasing. I've played it a few times because I always felt like it was too much like Azul, which is a, one of my all-time favorite games. In this dice drafting game, you are building these beautiful stained glass windows. Uh, we are, I got to play it again at the Misty Mountain game night this uh, at the end of February with some new players, and we had a blast playing it. It was their first playthrough of this game and they never even heard of it before, but after a couple rounds, they had the hang of it, and the girl that we were playing with, she just smoked us all with it. In this game, there are 10 rounds, and each round you're going to draft different dice, and then there are some tools that you can use to adjust the values or colors of the dice if you want, and you're going to place them in your stained glass window. Your stained glass window, how you construct it, is that each player pulls a different card, and they have all different difficulties, that tells you what colors need to be where, if the spaces are completely open, or if different numbers, which they, the values of the dice they call shades, are in there. And one trick is that you cannot have the same shade next to each other or the same color next to each other. And then each game you have different scoring cards that come out. You know, it's kind of, it does kind of mix it up a little bit. Thoughts on we're all in this game, like I said, it is definitely fun. It's a game that I enjoy playing every time I've gotten it out or I played it. I do find that the text on these tool cards that you use, it can be kind of difficult to read or even just understand, like especially explaining to a new player. They have a few too many words on them, but there's lots of pretty colors. It has lots of replayability with it. It's just kind of a fun little game to play. But I don't know, Justin, what have your thoughts have been on this game? Yeah, I, I like this game a lot. I, to me, it's uh, like a calming puzzle game. It's very chill, sort of almost serene when you're building your little stained glass windows. But the other thing I'll say is I think this is a great game to expose non-gamers to. 
it's it's not complicated. You're not throwing all this mechanics and stuff into somebody's face, and it's not overly thematic. You know that might scare some people off, but there's a great game in there, and I think anybody who doesn't play games very much could enjoy this as well. Yes, definitely. And you're talking about how pretty it is. That was one comment those that were playing the game with me the the girl was just looking at it afterwards and just kind of smiling at her pretty thing last window she had created so yeah it is it is actually i was pretty relaxed after playing it too now that you mentioned that gosh okay cones remember that next time i get all stressed out you go find this game and we'll sit and play it <laughs> we'll have to add it to the collection the yeah. first time we played it though if you remember we were playing it at a bar where the lighting wasn't the greatest and it was a heck of a time trying to tell the colors of oh, certain yeah. dice. So there's nothing there's nothing like a symbol or other markings on the dice themselves. So if you're colorblind or you have issues seeing colors or your lighting isn't good where the colors kind of blend together, the next thing you know, your blues look like green, or your blues and your greens look together, your oranges and your reds look together, and it can be a real challenge to play this game. And I think that probably more than anything kind of set this game into a bit of a negative context for us because the first time we played it, the lighting was so bad that it was such a struggle to see the colors of the different dice. But... Yeah, after playing it a couple of times uh, where it's uh, much more well lit and you can see the colors of the dice more effectively, the game is a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable. Well, now it doesn't sound so great, but this is this is a good game. This is fun, and there can be ways around it, I think, if you needed to get around some of those constraints. And that is Sagrada by Floodgate Games. So go ahead and check out wiscodice.com for links to all the games that we discussed. And while you're at it, don't forget to leave a review of this podcast wherever you download your podcast from. Now on to our interview with Kevin from the Strong Tower Gaming Convention. Hey folks, this is the Cones of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick-and-mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. All right, and... For this episode, remember this we are going to talk to Kevin Hicks from Strong Tower Gaming Convention. Welcome back, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, Kevin, last year we talked about this convention. Remind our listeners what Strong Tower Gaming Convention is all about. Uh, it's a local convention. We like to say that it's it's more of like grassroots type of feel convention. And it's a nonprofit, so everybody that's involved in running it, we don't get paid or anything. So we like to keep it, you know, it's a friendly convention. And then at the end of the day, we donate a portion of our proceeds to charity. It's fun. We get the game and then give away money to charity. That does sound like a lot of fun and kind of a unique reason for people to be involved and interested in this gaming convention. 
For those of us that have not had the opportunity to come to your convention yet, when is the convention? How many days is it? What's this venue like that it's at? It's uh, September 15th through the 17th this year. I'm at the Brookfield Conference Center in Brookfield, Wisconsin. It's a beautiful facility. It's only been around for a few years, and it worked out really well for us last year. We actually decided to expand the amount of space that we have because we had such a success. Uh, We sold out last year. We ended up having over 350 unique badges. Because of that, we've got about 50% more space this year. We're expecting to sell out again, even though we're increasing the amount of badges to about 450. Wow, that's really awesome. (laughs) Yeah, congrats, man. That's awesome. (laughs) Thanks. By the way, before uh, I'm going to jump in here quick, what what kind of games or events or th- things that uh, people can expect at uh, the convention itself? Is this a board gaming convention, RPG convention? Uh, what's your kind of your primary focus? We're primarily focused on board games. That's the main thing. We had a, a few RPGs last year and a few miniatures. I, th- I think we're going to have a little bit more of that this year. But it's primarily board gaming, but we do have a, a game library where if you you know don't have any th- games that you've signed up for, you can always come and check out a game from the library. Last year, our play and win section was a huge success. We had over 40 games in that area, and that you know that was very busy the whole time. The way that works is there's a table of games that publishers donate because they want people to to play them. And then you you basically pick out a game that looks interesting to you. You learn, you take it to a table, you learn how to play it with your friends. And then when you're done, you bring it back and you write your name on the clipboard. And then on Sunday, we'll draw one name from each clipboard. And then that person gets to take home the game. That's awesome. And we also have a consignment area, <laughs> which portion of that goes to the to charity. So if you have some games that you just haven't been getting to the table, you can bring those in and put those on consignment. The way it works is you, you know, you just fill out a a sheet of paper for each lot of games. It could be a single game or a bundle. And then uh, you check it in at the table and then we'll put it on a shelf. And then anybody that's interested in browsing the games can, can look through, you know, what's available. And if you like something, you just take it to the table and you check it out. It's not, an auction or anything so you you essentially just take the game and then you can buy it that's a cool. real nice way to cycle through some of the games you no longer want to play and also bring some new ones into your collection for a hopefully a more reasonable price than having to buy everything new oh yeah there's plenty of deals to be had because most people have been you know hoard. you know how <laughs> gamers are they just hoard their games forever and then eventually you realize i got to get rid of some of these because i have you know, 10 Kickstarters coming and there's no space. <laughs> oh, oh, Ben and Suzanne don't know anything about that. No. no we just no, buy more go, shelves. <laughs> yep, just buy more shelves. It's a small yearly purge, but yep, just buy more shelves. It's, yeah. it's so, getting more difficult. So given that you sold out last year, and even though you've expanded space, so walk us through, how does someone register to go to the convention? And will there be like event registration, vendors, etc.? Yes. There is badge registration, and it goes live March 17th at 7 o'clock Central. 
So if you're hoping to get a badge uh, before they sell out, that's the time to do it. Log on, get your badge. If you go to strongtowergamers.com, there's a button towards the top of the page that says register at tabletop.events. That is the platform that we're using to sell our badges and also register our events and schedule, you know, schedule them on different tables and things like that. So uh, we are opening game submissions at that same time. So get your badge and then submit some events and we'll we'll go through those and approve those as quickly as we can. The badges for a weekend badge, it's $60. And then it's $25 for either Friday or Saturday. And then it's $20 on Sunday. But Sunday is kind of a bonus day because that's the day that we draw winners for the raffle, which I don't even think I mentioned. <laughs> we do have a charity raffle. So Sunday is always the fun day because everyone gets to find out if they won that game that they really wanted. And last year we had... We definitely had over 50 lots that we gave away. So it was a lot of fun. It does sound like a lot of fun. So what if besides playing in games, we would like to volunteer or help out in some other way? Do you have a way for us to reach out to you to get involved? What type of help are you looking for? Yeah, we are looking for help. Um, So again, on our website, strongtowergamers.com, there is a link. If you go to volunteer opportunities, there's a link there that'll take you to a form that you can fill out and we'll get we check that periodically and we are looking for volunteers generally there's they're in shifts of i believe we're doing four hour shifts so usually it's pretty easy you know you're, you're going to be sitting behind a table checking in and out games at the library or working at the consignment sale you know with help there that type of thing I'm just going to note that while you've been talking and mentioning things on the website, I've been poking around and following along. It's laid out super clean and easy to find this information. You know, if you just read through it, it's really nicely uh, laid out on there. Oh, thank you. You added a bunch of space. So what's new? What else is new in 2023? What have you guys looked at adding or, you know, what's, what's getting you pumped up about this year? Yeah, so we did add more space, which means we have more tables, more games. The consignment area is probably about double what it was last year. We have additional special guests this year. We had, so last year we had Kane Klenko and then Ellen and Randy Kirby, and that they are all going to be back again next or this current year. And then we also have Stan Kordonsky. He's going to be joining us as well. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's. He's a local designer. He designed Lockup and Endless Winter, Dice Hospital, Rurik, Dawn of Kiev, and uh, some other titles. He's really a super nice guy, so he's going to be running a lot of his games. You can sign up to play some games with him. And then Kane, of course, is going to be running a bunch of games as well. He's got a couple of games coming out this year that are exciting. I, th- I think Use Countdown just came out, so I'm excited to try the retail version of that. I've played some of the I did some play testing on that, so I'm curious to see how it turned out. Very cool. So I'm excited though to play with those designers and publishers. That's always a great opportunity at conventions. We can do that. You know, you're running this convention and everything, but have you been having time to play games on your own at home or with your friends? Have you have any favorite ones you've been playing lately? I don't have a lot of time, but I do squeeze in as many games as I can. So lately 
I've been playing Silk Clover a ton. I don't know if you've played that game, but you play that with anybody and they love it. It's just you've never played that, Suzanne? No, never even uh, heard of that one. So what Clover, you got to check it out. I'm going to go so, look that up as we're talking. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. Essentially what it is is it's a cooperative game where everybody sort of has their own puzzle and they have to give clues to the other people to try to piece the puzzle together. It's a kind of a word game. It looks like a clover and you have cards that have a word on four sides. So they're square cards. Each side has words on it. And then you have four of those cards. So you put them side by side. So you're going to have, you're basically going to have four sides that have two words each. And you have to come up with a one word clue to try to get the other players to guess what those two words are. And it's really fun and it's really hard sometimes to come up with a word that fits the two words together. And, you know, there's, it's really fun. I like it. So that's one thing I'm playing. I've also really enjoyed Rear Window. I don't know if you've heard of that one. The theme is based on the movie that came out, I believe it was in the 50s, late 50s. 1954 um, came out. Yeah. Like the, a Hitchcock film or something, I think. Yeah. Yep, Hitchcock. Yep. Yep. And uh, so it's it kind of reminds me of what's that one where you're trying to there's a ghost and you're giving clues to the other players to try to. That's a favorite of mine. Mysterium. Yes, Yes, Mysterium. It's kind of like that. There's one person that's giving clues to the other players, um, but this one has a twist because uh, there's there's a chance that the the clue giver is actually a murderer and they're trying to cover it up. So the people guessing are, you know, they're trying to get the correct people and the correct traits and, and, you know, based on it's, you know, there's windows. So you're giving clues for these windows and, and the other players are trying to guess basically who's in that window. It's a lot of fun. So I recommend that one. One more that I haven't played yet, but I just got the Kickstarter for Scarface 1920, and that looks so fun. So I'm really looking forward to breaking that box open. Hopefully, we'll be able well, to get you know, it soon. It's, you can't leave it on your you know wall of shame too long. <laughs> just a table of opportunity. Let's not yes. let's not shame those games. Just opportunities. That's right. Opportunities for fun. Exactly. Yeah. So what are you hoping to play or get involved in in this year's convention? I think I mentioned last year that I like to host like giant versions of games. So I'm always looking forward to that. I did uh, giant flick them up last year and that was a huge hit. We had people just standing around, you know, everyone was clapping and it was a big production and we might have annoyed some people around us, but you know, we were far enough away. I think it was fine. But, but then, I also ran Giant Takanoko. That one's kind of a, you know, crowd pleaser. When people walk by, they're always like, what's that game? And then I have the 3D Catan, the new version that they came out with. So I ran yeah. that last year. Oh, I'm sure Ben would be super excited for any yeah, all things Catan. <laughs> oh. But some of those other giant games do sound like fun. Will I, you be- uh, yeah. Catan 3D is actually a really neat experience, but 
I have one other friend that I know owns it and he pulls it out every once in a while. And it's, it's truly a beautiful game, but yeah. I mean, you know, it's still Catan and you know, <laughs> there's, there's a reason Catan is called the friend friendship killer, but <laughs> that's yeah. right. So. Yep. I play that with my wife and my brother and I've been known to get a little testy during those games. <laughs> Nothing better than sitting there for an hour waiting, waiting to win the game. Yep. Waiting for them to be able to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I need that one or resource. That, Please move the perfect, damn robber. That perfect dice roll right. to finally come up. <laughs> come on, 11. Come on. <laughs> Which is basically the couple times I've played Catan, how it's ended is with Ben doing that and waiting for that roll. And then I'm trying to like go, what can I do to just give to him so that we can just finish this game? So you can be done. Misery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, is this yes. over yet? Yeah. <laughs> I never seem to pick the right spots to start, so I end up with no resources or very little I can do. So, but that's all right. I don't even know if we even own that. May be one game that we did get rid of. So, I'm pretty Going... sure you let me. You let me own that one. So, yeah, we had it at one point. So I thought, did we, Ben? Yep. Oh yeah, okay. we had it. There's so many I can't keep track of them all. <laughs> So going back, yes, he does. Going back to the convention, if we're interested in this convention, what's the best way for us to stay informed about additional news regarding the Strong Tower Gaming Convention? Yeah, we have a newsletter that we send out about once a month. So if you'd like to sign up for that, again, go to strongtowergamers.com. And there's a, a place to sign up for the newsletter on there. I believe it's on the first page. But maybe, Suzanne, maybe you can confirm that. And <laughs> since it's so nicely laid out. It's right at the very bottom of the page. All right. Scroll down, big white spots. That they're asking for words. Awesome. <laughs> and then we also have a Facebook page. If you just search for Strong Tower Gamers, you can find us on there and like us. And I'm the one that sends out updates periodically on there. I don't do it a ton, but I try to be informative with you know what's coming up so i'm gonna i'm definitely posting a lot more with our registration opening in about 10 days or from the recording of this episode so it should be open by the time this comes out yep for those of you that are listening this episode will come out and the tickets will be available for the convention so feel free to hop right out over there all the links and references to the important stuff where you can get tickets where where you can get signed up for the newsletter, that kind of stuff will also be in the blog post that goes along with the show. So you can just hop over to wiscodice.com, click the links, and you'll be all hooked up with how to get registered and get on the newsletter and all the other fun stuff. So is there anything else you want to share with our audience about the convention? Yeah, I think the only thing I didn't mention yet was the the raffle, the or sorry, the charity that we selected this year. This year we chose Compassion International which is a charity that supports getting children out of poverty. So this is one of those charities where you can sponsor a child directly and they will actually send you, you know, like you can be a pen pal with them and you're helping them basically change their life. So it's a a great experience and a great opportunity. So we will be donating proceeds to that. We are definitely looking for some, you know, hot games to give away on the raffle or, you know, 
as door prizes or anything like that. So if you feel compelled to give us new insurance games, please feel free to reach out to us and we will gladly take them off your hands. That sounds, that sounds good. great. Yes. Well, Kevin, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I love it. I can't wait to see you guys at the convention. We are super excited to be a part of it this year. For those of you who don't know out there, Wisco Dice will also be in attendance. We'll be running events. We'll be recording some th- some form of content still to be determined from the show. Who knows what else we're going to be doing. We'll be contributing to the charity raffle ourselves as well. So if you're excited or you want to hang out and play a game or catch a game with the Wisco Dice team, stay tuned to find out which hosts will be there in future episodes. And we look forward to meeting you and seeing you there. We'll be armed with swag and and be just excited to get a chance to talk to everybody. And most of all, we're looking forward to playing a ton of games for the full weekend. And we're back. And we've been joined by Sean from Surprisingly Fun Games. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Oh, it's going uh, very well. A lot of exciting things happening. Absolutely. There's always lots of exciting things going. And it seems like there's a lot of exciting things going on in Surprisingly Fun Games these days. We have been having an absolute blast with Tinspin, and we featured it on our three and our very first uh, inaugurable YouTube video, uh, the three and fifteen, our very first one. It was featured on that as part of our three reviews in fifteen minutes, and we're super excited here now for the new for your, for your new game, Sweet Deals. What's coming on? What's going on uh, at Surprisingly Fun Games? What can you tell us about now that you're actually? published in a in a not only a designer but a publisher and a company and all of these things that since the last time we talked to you yeah no that's great and, and you know, definitely i saw the review of tinsman you know t- you guys talking about it that was great to see and yeah uh so let's see so surprisingly fun games there are three main games uh, that we're focusing on right now uh tinspin which is the first ever game to use dice spinning as a mechanic because like i like to say why roll dice when you can spin them? Uh, but yeah, that is out. It's on. It's a. It's for sale across the country. Uh, you can go to tinspingame.com and check that out. And then sweet deals, as you just mentioned, that Kickstarter just finished up. So we did tinspin Kickstarter in 2022 and sweet deals in 2023, and that was successful as well. So that will be fulfilling. Uh, I said in the Kickstarter July. I think I can hit mid June though. Uh, because my secret hope is to be able to have both games at Origins in Columbus in June. So hopefully I'll have the fulfillment for Sweet Deals done by then so I can bring it to the con and and have two games at the Surprisingly Fun booth, as I like to call it. Surprisingly Fun booth. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That That is exciting. So can you tell us a little bit, now that you've kind of been inundated and, and immersed in this world, how have you been finding the world of game designer and publisher? Like what? What's shifted for you? What, have, what are you finding interesting about that? And, uh, and maybe you want to share with our audience. What sure. did you learn that you didn't know? <laughs> yeah, no, those are, those are great questions. So, so my, just to, just to uh, bring folks up to speed, my background is in video game development. So I've been developing video games for 20 years. And surprisingly fun games I incorporated a little over three years ago. Uh, because I had some board games that I'd been working on in my in my free time. Not that there was much of it, but and I really wanted to try that sector of the game development market out uh, personally. 
And so Mischief at the Museum, which is the third game, was actually the first game that I worked on, you know, getting to a point where I could bring it around the conferences, uh, playtesting it, growing the mailing list, things like that. You know, you guys had a chance to play that at Gen Con one year. Uh, mm -hmm. But the, the problem with uh, Mischief at the Museum, it is a bigger game. It's about 15 minutes per player. Uh, there's a lot more art that needs to be produced for it. And while I had a graphic designer and an illustrator working on it, then the pandemic hit. And so they had, now they were working from home. Uh, they had some other conflicts uh, as a result of that. So they had to bow out. I did find another illustrator for a period of a couple months, but then uh, he had a second child, which is great for their family, less great for uh, art producing on the side. <laughs> so basically it was, it was soon after Gen Con uh, 2021, where I was like, wow, you know, I've been researching Kickstarters. I've been learning about them, you know, when to start them, how to run them successfully. And I really wanted to learn some lessons firsthand. I really wanted to just do it. And so that's when I dusted off both literally and figuratively. Tinspin, I actually originally made back in 2002. So um, it actually came out on its 20th anniversary. Uh, but I used 20 years of game development expertise that I'd learned in the meantime to rebalance it, make it much better, uh, you know, plays two to six players, ran the Kickstarter for that. And so I learned a ton from that, manufacturing woes, uh, shipping things, testing. I inadvertently made one of the hardest games to test because when you, uh, when you do testing for, for games, it, basically every different color and every different material needs to be tested. And so by making a game with seven dice, all different colors, a metal tin, and then golden cubes that you're trying to collect, golden acrylic cubes, I like I just made like the testing for sweet deal or for tinspin just it was a large upfront one-time cost that I was not expecting. So that's a lesson learned right there. Uh, is when you're when you're designing for manufacturer of games, keep in mind the materials because that's gonna be uh that's going to be a big cost. It could be a big cost to get it uh, certified to sell in the U.S. and in the EU. And ever since Brexit, there's now UKCA certification. So, so now the U.K. is different than, than Europe. There's always more to learn is what I'm finding, I guess. Is, 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 as much as you think you know, you don't know everything. Absolutely. That's absolutely the case. I think every day is, is an opportunity for learning something new. And it's always interesting to talk to folks like yourself and hear kind of the lessons now that you got your first game out. You know, what kind of trials maybe kind of came up that you didn't anticipate for and how well it did. Certainly the time frame you're talking about for sweet deals that you mentioned, being able to potentially have it published or not only published through manufacturing and everything by Origins this year, that's fairly fast. It sounds like you're probably using... Uh, is that U.S. manufacturing then, or how, how you know how is that getting produced that you're able to turn that time frame so quickly? Yeah, no, you're you're very astute. The manufacturing of Tinspin occurred in China, uh, and I had approached you know uh, game manufacturers in, 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 that had offices here, and as well uh, you know as well as the means to produce things here. But the general feeling was it's mostly dice and and metal tins. And that's probably going to be manufactured in China anyway. And so some of the folks in the U.S., they were just like, hey, we're not even going to give you a quote. Like, we apologize, but it would make no sense for you to go with us. And so they were very upfront and honest. And I was like, well, that, you know, thank you for that. I'll reach out to you uh, when I do a game that's mostly, you know, cards or card or, you know, chipboard. 
And so that's what I did. I reached out to uh, Delano Games in, in Michigan. Uh, they do uh, the U.S. printing of, uh, actually, I think they do all the printings of Flux, uh, The Crew, games like that. So great quality, great customer service. And I've been working with them. And yeah, it's going to be uh, made right here in the U.S. in Michigan. And uh, that will allow me to have it in time for June uh, if, I, if I stick to my timetable. And all signs, all signs point to that being the case. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. Well, that's awesome to hear. So speaking of sweet deals, what really inspired you to create this game? What, what is it about? What's going on? What's, about, what's it about? So in sweet deals, you have a hand of seven desserts. And the very interesting thing about it is the cards you're collecting are also the cards you're bidding with, your currency. And so every card is a dessert type, but it also has a coin value from zero to five. And there are distributions for each dessert that are the same. Uh, and then what happens is you're, you're very focused on the cards in your hand. And so because of that, every turn you're offering a dessert or bidding on desserts, and you're always changing cards one for one. So you always are going to have seven cards in your hand. And so the gameplay is very much focused on the hand. There's something interesting every turn, because even if you're not bidding on a dessert, if you, if you care to, there's sort of hidden strategies that you can watch what other people are willing to give and also what types of desserts they're willing to give and what types of desserts they're looking for. So you can learn about their hand, so you can maybe play your hand better. But the, the exciting thing is, and, and one of the design tenants that I set out to uh, design for, one of the sort of the design goals was it actually stems from family dinners because my wife's family, large family, we have great holiday dinners and everybody eats a big meal. And then, you know, some folks are in the kitchen, some folks are still at the table, maybe some people are on the couch. And I would love to bring them together to play a board game. But everyone's like, ah, we don't want to move. And they start pulling out their phones, right? And so I wanted to make a game that I could just hand someone a set of cards and then we'd be playing the game. And as long as you have one person who's willing to like make the trades, and usually it's a you know a younger kid or someone energetic enough to run between the catches, right? But basically, because the hand fo because the game focuses so much on hand manipulation and, and, and the cards in your hand, you can play this game anywhere, not just sitting around you know your your family's house after a, after a big meal. But I've played it outside. I, I literally played it during a fire drill once at my company. I've played it in cars. I've played it on the plane, actually. I'm out at, in California for the Game Developers Conference, and I played it on the plane uh, with the folks sitting around me. And so it's very easy to learn, and you can play it anywhere. And it plays two to eight players, so it's very versatile in that way as well. And it's just been a huge, it's been a huge crowd pleaser in, in the successful Kickstarter. It's been great. Tell me, I mean, this, is, this actually sounds fascinating to me. Uh, it's always nice to have something like this that you can pull people in, quick game, something that you can get a bunch of people together. But what inspired you to create this game? What drove you to pull this in and combine these elements? Right. So I, I had in the back of my head that I wanted to make a very versatile game that you didn't need to be sitting at a table for, honestly. And, you know, what does that mean? And so I was thinking about cards. I was thinking about you know, you can have cards that do two different things on sort of, you know, axes that are in, in conflict with each other to make interesting decisions happen. And so I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about themes, right? So Tinspin, its theme is basically spinning dice, right? It's, but there's not a lot to dig into there. And so I was like, oh, you know, I really want to do a more themed game. And I was thinking about, you know, what is it, what does everyone like, right? Everyone likes dessert. So I was thinking about desserts and... Uh, my daughter, who's eight years old, 
uh, loves cute things. So of course, cute desserts were top of my mind. So I was thinking about that. And then, yeah, this interesting bidding mechanic of the, of the idea that the thing you're collecting is also your currency. I liked, I liked that as well. And it all sort of just came together uh, last summer. And I made the first prototype. My daughter drew the art for it. And we started playtesting it and iterating on it. So I think the inspiration is a, a game that can be played anywhere and you know, taught in like two minutes and, and very flexible, right? Uh, people can even drop in and out if you want, right? You could deal someone in after a couple of rounds and it's not gonna affect the game that much, right? So it's very, it's a great game to play either you know, at the beginning of a board game night as, as folks are arriving or maybe at the end of the night when you're like, ooh, we ended a little early. We got time for one more game, you know, sweet deals, a little 15 minute game. And you can play around in 15. I literally on the plane right here with this mother and her daughter and one of my coworkers, we played nine rounds of, of Sweet Deals. By the end of it, even I was a little, it's like, maybe we should take a break. But the daughter, the 10-year-old daughter, just was like, and so then I taught her the solo mode because it does have a solo mode. And so I taught the daughter the solo mode and she played it the rest of the plane flight. <laughs> That's so yeah, I'm just, I'm just thrilled with it. That's super awesome. That's great to hear. And and while we're talking about it, I was like, oh, I definitely need to get a copy for my nieces. So I had to increase my backing of the game because I'm like, oh, yeah, Suzanne and I talked about giving a copy of this to our nieces for exactly this reason. It sounds like such a great game. And looking at the art and everything, like it's a game that's just perfect for family get-togethers and family uh, families with kids that the, in, in having the, those young, younger audiences sitting down and just being fascinated with, Hey, I got the ice cream or I got the the yeah. cake or whatever. And, and wanting to hoard maybe their favorite desserts while they're playing the game. Yes. I definitely find that kids tend to be, I like to call them chaotic neutral players. Uh, sometimes they'll make, you know, less than strategic decisions, uh, but it's all part of the fun, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, surprisingly fun games. I love to make approachable games that have hidden strategies. Uh, so folks, you know, I have a lot of hardcore board game uh, friends and, and you know, there there is deeper strategies that are there. But at the same time, as you mentioned, right, you can give it to your nieces, your nephews, uh, you know, the, the younger ones in your lives and uh, and they can just have a blast playing it themselves, right? So it's really nice. The growth of this hobby lies within the youth today so if you if people want to grow the hobby you've got to find a way to get it into the younger generations that's really where 20 years from now board gaming is still going to be this very excited exciting thing to be a part of because all of our children are going to have grown up with it they're going to want to be now introducing it to their children and it's companies that are designing games just like you are that are helping pave that way right now. So it's an awesome, awesome thing. And like I said, I, I see this really being an awesome game that my nieces are going to just super love. And we are forever known as the favored game design aunt and uncle because uh, we gave them <laughs> Dragonomino uh, a nice. couple of years ago. Sure. And I think they call it Dragomino or whatever, but it's, <laughs> they take it everywhere and they play it everywhere. So I can see them taking this one everywhere and playing it everywhere. Well, and I feel like we're in this kind of renaissance almost of video or not video games, but board games where there's so many new ideas and so many creative people that are hitting the market that there's just, I don't know. I feel like we're in this growth of people getting into board games too, that makes it 
so much more approachable and room for all these developers to just put these great mechanics on the board. Yeah, no, I, I think you're both spot on. Uh, it is very exciting to be a part of it. So what other games are surprisingly fun games are in the near future? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've learned so much from the Tinspin and the Sweet Deals Kickstarter. Uh, I've learned how hard it is. And so I have, the, the last year or so, I have also been uh, shopping Mischief at the Museum to publishers. Uh, because it's a bigger game, uh, you know, sort of everything's amplified, right? It'd be more manufacturing costs, more logistics with the shipping. I'd love to get it to different countries. And so I have been looking, actively looking for partners for that. That said, because it is, a, you know, a complete game and it has been testing so well for so many years, I definitely wanted to see the light of day. And so if, if, you know, if one of these publishing things that I'm working on doesn't come through, I do plan on kickstarting it. Although it probably, uh, after two back-to-back -back Kickstarters, I think myself and, and, and arguably uh, my family needs a, needs a bit of a break. So maybe, maybe, in, uh, maybe in 2025 uh, or late 2024, we'll see. But yeah, it, I also, you know, you never know. Like Sweet Deals sort of, it came together very quickly. And, um, you know, I did not expect to do Kickstarters back-to-back -back years. Uh, and yet here I am. Uh, so you never know. <laughs> Yep, that is definitely the case. And I think there's, when people talk about doing the design piece and the board game publishing, and I think it's easier to do these days than than it ever has been before to be able to see your dream become a reality. But uh, I'm, I'm sure, Sean, you'll say that the thing is, it isn't the design piece that's ultimately the biggest challenge to getting your vision to become a reality of of a published game that's potentially sitting on a game store shelf. It's the business side of things that ends up uh, acquiring so much extra time. And of course, you're you're always doing it as your kind of second job here to start with, right? So yeah, that, that can be really tough on family life and other and other things. And and a lot of people that we talk to don't realize you know, so many of these publishers and these pu these game companies uh, like yours, like yours, are just one person really doing everything: design, publishing, trying to find the right partners for manufacturing and and art. So, you know, what we definitely respect that piece of it, and just want to you know say, hey, we we get it. We know how hard that that is to to have happen, and. Love being able to have a chance to talk to folks like yourself to be able to help you get your vision out there a little bit more and hopefully be able to get an opportunity to get some people to uh, reach out and, and grab a copy of Sweet Deals or, or Tin Spin when they hear about this. Yes, and, and we absolutely appreciate it. I've, uh, I went to a uh, sort of a virtual conference for, for game developers, and there were, there were publishers that spoke at that and learned a lot you know, looking into them more, it was like, yeah, these are these are publishers who have multiple games out, but it's like you're like you said, it's like two or you know three people, and it's and I was like, oh well, I guess I'm, I'm a publisher of one person, so and it's like it's it's just amazing, right? Because it is it, it's a if it's a very different switch from the designing of the game to then the business side of it, right? And it is is far less exciting. It is still it is still fun and exciting to me. I think. If it ever became not fun and exciting, I, I would just seek out, you know, working with publishers as opposed to doing it through surprising fun games, as it were. But it is very interesting that a lot of these games that you know and love 
are made by very small teams, right? And it's kind of special in that regard because you can literally get to know everyone at the company if you go to one of these conferences or if you, you know, speak to them on the, on their Discord or what have you. And um, I gave a talk at another conference recently called Two Kickstarters, Two Years. And about my experience personally, right? And and there were folks in the audience who asked very interesting questions. And, you know, it was nice to sort of pay that forward, right? Uh, it's a great community. I think it's fascinating, though, too, because we are guilty here at Wisco Dice of backing more than a couple of Kickstarters in our time. But it's fascinating for me watching, especially um, since the pandemic, is the challenges with logistics and manufacturing coming out of like China and stuff like that, whereas one Kickstarter will be seem like they have solid logistics channels and even they get a little delayed. And others, like you said, those one or two people shops that the the sheer volume of challenges because their Kickstarters may do very, very well. And suddenly they've got six thousand people going, you know, ten thousand, six thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand, maybe more people all asking questions, and there's like three of them to answer the questions, and they're like, yeah. and when they run into shipping challenges, to see the anger in people because they're just like, where the heck is my stuff? I mean, right. you, you know, two three months delayed, and what the hell? And speaking directly from experience, right? There's sort of three different kickstarters, right? There's the unsuccessful, right? That's that is sad, uh, and then there's the modest success, and I, I would I would say Tin Spin and Sweet Deals were modest successes, and then there's the breakout ones, right? They either had a huge community going in or it went viral or something, and that's when you can run into troubles because especially for me, if Tin Spin had blown up and gone huge, it would have been a real issue for me, and I'll tell you why. I had, you know, I, I had a manufacturer and I had a fulfillment plan in place. When I continued with that relationship with the manufacturer, you know, we had started production and there were some, let's say, communication issues between what they thought was a shiny gold dice and what I thought was a shiny gold, you know, cube, actually, because it's the cubes you're trying to collect. And the materials that they were, you know, that they had showed me, you know, it wasn't matching. And oh, they're like, well, we could do what you want, but it's going to be X price, which almost doubled the cost of the game to produce. And if, like that's untenable. And so I had to find a different supplier of the golden cubes and the logistics of that to get the game out on time basically meant I had to fulfill the 464 copies of Tinspin myself. And so that was, you know, a week or two of staying up till 2 a.m. manually packaging Tinspin myself. I've I've since figured out a better system, but like to get the, you know, and I really wanted to get it out. Like, so I actually delivered a couple of weeks early on Tinspin, but had I not been able to pivot and do the fulfillment myself, it would have been a much different story. And and yeah, so if that campaign had gone huge, I would have been in big trouble. <laughs> Even though I thought I had a solid plan in place, things changed during the manufacturing. Oh yeah, it's absolutely absolutely possible that things just go sideways. I so I have a question. So yeah, no worries. <laughs> If looking at it now, where you're at now, what piece of advice would you give anyone that's listening to this that's contemplating? Because we're all gamers at heart, right? We all play board games, and we love playing them. We all think that we've got a brilliant game design in our head. Yeah. What piece of advice would you give anyone that's thinking about 
making that leap from the design in their head or the potential game that they're thinking about to becoming a you know to trying to publish their game would you give them knowing what you know now yeah that's a great question there are there are two main things that i'd like to tell folks one is just do it make a prototype right make a prototype you can make it yourself you know print it out hand draw it whatever you need to do and play test that with your family then out with your friends and then with strangers right at local conferences or board game meetups there's definitely lots of opportunities people are always excited to play new stuff and that is the first big hurdle right getting strangers to understand and play and enjoy your game huge hurdle after you get past that you've got a big decision to make do i take it forward first question or do i just play with my friends and family and people at conventions because that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do you make one or two copies and you just do that if you do decide to take it forward your two big options are finding a publisher or self-publishing usually through a crowdfunding thing you know there's there's definitely lots of uh, you know uh, jamie stagmeyer from stonemeyer games has great great blog on, on on kickstarter and all the sort of decisions that you have to make but at the end of the day it's sort of you know how much of the business side do you want to dive in on? If you're going to do a Kickstarter, you got to go all in on the business side. It's going to it's going to be up to you, uh, versus just sort of licensing it to a publisher. You're going to give up a lot of control if you go with a publisher, depending on the publisher, more or less. And you're going to have total control if you do Kickstarter. That means you also have total responsibility, and everything gets more complicated. But the very first hurdle is make that prototype and start testing it because you're never going to know if it's as great as you think it is until you play test it with naive people that's the first big hurdle and 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 luckily it's also the easiest hurdle to get over you make that prototype and you just start going around to your local meetups or your local conventions and, and get it out there ha have fun with it i think that's some great adv advice there sean so I, I definitely appreciate it and i think our there are definitely listeners out there that are listening to this who have been probably following along with the interviews that we've been doing this year and hearing a little bit more of that. What, what does it take from various, various publishers? And so give, being able to pass on that great bit of advice is awesome for them. Of course, it is not without saying here at the, as we get close to wrapping up this, uh, our chat tonight, that we are extremely excited that you have been successful with Tinspin, have been successful with Sweet Deals, and that uh, we should let folks know where they can go and get those games or where they can be able to expect to be able to go ahead and, and get them from you post uh, this episode, post the Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. How can people get their hands on Tinspin and Sweet Deals? Yeah, so uh, check out tinspingame.com. You can buy it online right there. You can also encourage your friendly local game store to get in touch with me to get a retailer deal for them. Uh, and then there's also sweetdealsgame.com, and you'll be able to pre-order it. It should be, you know, fulfilling the Kickstarter in, in late June to July, and so hopefully it'll be for on sale uh, online uh, in late July. And, and of course, either one of those websites or surprisinglyfungames.com. If you get on my mailing list, that's the best way to be, you know, notified when I go to conventions uh, and when the next Kickstarter in the future will launch. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, we will have all of these links in our show notes at wiscodice.com. So if you are 
listening to this show, you can just hop over to our website, click on any of the links right with the episode notes for this episode. Of course, uh, we strongly recommend you pick, uh, if you're looking for, uh, if you have a family or you're looking for a, a fun game to play with them, that you definitely check out these games and, and support uh, surprisingly fun games. We really have enjoyed all the time, all the games we've played uh, that Sean's uh, produced, and we're really excited to get our hands on sweet deals and be able to share that. I think it's going to make some some great childhood memories uh, for our nieces. And uh, it was my wife's favorite gaming moment of last year. It was actually sitting down during holiday dinner, yeah, post holiday dinner with Tin Spin and her nieces, sitting there spinning dice and trying to. You know, I don't. I, I don't even think they actually played tin spin, but the idea of the spinning the yeah. dice and that that was part of a game. You know, that was that that became her favorite gaming memory, and it's it's simple little designs like this that bring families together and and are just awesome. We can't say enough about them. We we really we really think they're uh, at least I at least I should say I think they are worth your time. So check them out. Oh, that that's great to hear. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been it's been wonderful talking to you. And yeah, I'm sure I'll see you at the conventions in the future. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to catch up with you again face-to-face, Sean. It'd be awesome. Uh, I don't I know if we'll be making time, Origins, too. but uh, yeah, we'll be looking forward to seeing you seeing one of the shows here soon. All right, all right. All right, and with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out. <laughs>